Good morning, church. It's good to see you here. And uh, for those who are worshiping online, we welcome you all as well. So if you were to stand in front of this house on the screen uh, with somebody who knew nothing of Christmas, nothing of what it means, uh, what would you say? I mean, what, what is this thing saying? I mean, you got you to gotta, you gotta love the effort here, don't you? <laughs> there's Santa, there's toy soldiers, candy canes, stars, snowflakes, a gingerbread man, there's angels. Uh, do you see the Grinch in there as well? The Grinch is there. He's behind the manger scene. Uh, and yes, there's a manger scene, Mary, Joseph, baby Jesus. Um, it's rather overwhelming, isn't it? <laughs> Uh, which may in itself be a statement of the season. Uh, But what is Advent, Christmas all about? So if we decided, hey, let's bring this closer to home and we put your your December calendar up on the screen and somebody who knew nothing of Christmas was to try to figure out what Christmas meant just by your calendar, what would they they deduce? Um, Well, in our series, A Better Christmas, we're seeking to Uh, put in front of us things that will make for a better Christmas as they highlight what really matters. Last week, we considered the second coming of Jesus. Uh, Advent and Christmas is not just some nostalgic look backwards at Christ's first coming. Advent, for us, is meant to give us a forward look to the coming of our Savior again, and He is coming. Well, today we consider something that we might put in the category of how to be prepared for Christ's second coming. And we're going to look at something that uh, we we should be keeping in view, as it were, and, and it's simply the faithfulness of God in answering prayer. The faithfulness of God in answering prayer. Now, we probably don't associate prayer as one of the, you know, the central themes of Christmas But Advent, Christmas, is God showing up big and faithful in answer to the prayers of his people. The first Advent should encourage us massively to be praying people who are looking at the faithfulness of God as we wait for his coming again, the coming of Christ. Well, let's consider this as we look, uh, again, a very, at a very familiar story from uh, the uh, Christmas uh, stories in, in Luke. Uh, Luke chapter 1, beginning verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. The whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense, and there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John." 
you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. The people were waiting for Zechariah. They were wondering at his delay in the temple. When he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. He kept making signs to them and remained mute. When his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife, Elizabeth, conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Jesus asks an intriguing question regarding his second coming. And here's the question. It's from Luke 18, verse 8. When the Son of Man appears, or when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, is Jesus wondering whether anyone's going to be home, so to speak, when he returns? Anybody who, who believes, has faith that he's Lord and Savior? That's not his question. He has just finished in Luke 18 telling a story about prayer, persistent prayer, the, the, the persistent widow. Remember that story? And so faith, uh, you know, if you think, what, what's the opposite of faith? It's self-reliance. It's not unbelief, it's just self-reliance. Prayer is the evidence of faith as it reveals a God-reliant life. So what Jesus is saying here in a sense is, when the Son of Man returns, will he find a people who are self-reliant, prayerless, or will he find a people of faith as evidenced by being people of prayer, a, a God-reliant people? Well, Christmas encourages God-reliance and to keep at prayer because God is faithful to hear and answer but it doesn't always seem that way. In fact, the environment where prayer happens is often in the silence of God. And this is where we first meet Zechariah and Elizabeth. They're good people. We're told they're both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments of the Lord. Now, that, that does not mean they were perfect and so didn't need a savior. It's just that they lived a Godward life, seeking to love, obey, and honor the Lord. But there's a huge problem. They're childless. Elizabeth was barren. Her womb was dead, and now they both were old. 
In the first century, thank God it's not uh, this way now, but in the first century, to be childless was a shameful thing in the community, in the society. This is why Elizabeth, at the end, verse 25, is so grateful to God that he has taken away her reproach among her people. That is, he's taken away her shame. Friends, family of Elizabeth, they, they looked down on her. They figured that, that she or a Zechariah must have done something to tick God off. And he was punishing them. That's why they were childless. And clearly that is not the case. Clearly. Again, they were blameless before God. But here's the silence of God. No doubt they prayed for years for a child. This must have been the number one prayer, the prayer request for decades. And nothing. Silence. Was God angry? Was he disappointed? Why is heaven so silent to our shame and our longing? Have we done something wrong? Have we failed to do something? No doubt there are many here who feel this very silence. There's brokenness. There's emptiness. There's unfulfilled longing. Maybe you feel as though you're living under a cloud of shame. You're wondering, what, what have I failed at? You've been praying into something, but God in heaven, it's just, it's just silence. Why? Well, we don't have an answer to that here, do we? But Christmas reminds us with such gracious force that God remembers the lowly in their brokenness and he fills the longing soul with good things. He does hear and answer our prayers, but consider how he answers. Here's, here's the second thing we want to look at, the purposes of God. He answers according to his purposes, and his purposes for us are for our good. Zechariah is a priest, and uh, twice a year he would travel to Jerusalem to be on duty. Um, he would help around the temple, uh, cleaning up, uh, taking care of things. He would help people with their sacrifices, and he would hope to be chosen to go inside, you know, the, the first room of the temple, the holy place, to offer incense. You know, one priest was chosen in the morning and one priest was chosen in the afternoon. So there's 14 slots available each week. And you go up twice a year. He has 20, 28 opportunities to be, to be able to, to be chosen to go inside the temple. And he's never been chosen. And now he's an old man. I mean, how many years has he been going twice a week up to the temple? 30, 40 years? Again, this probably added to his shame. His wife is barren, and he's an old loser priest. Never chosen. But then, with the happiest day of his life, his name is selected. And so, here are the people outside. They're praying at the hour of incense. That's the hour of prayer. And, and he goes in. And I'm sure he's just... You know, like a kid in a candy shop or something. <laughs> he's, just, he's just amazed at the inside of the temple. And he, and he offers the incense, and then suddenly an angel appears. Zechariah's terrified. The angel assures him, it's good. You know, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. What prayer? At that moment, 
He was offering a prayer on behalf of Israel represented by the people outside. It was a prayer for deliverance. God, remove the shame of Israel. Lord, take away the shame of our sin. Take away the shame of our oppression. Bless your people with with a savior from our enemies. But when Gabriel says your prayer has been heard, he doesn't point to a savior of the people, or does he? He says, God has heard your prayer for a son. You and Elizabeth are going to have a a son. So God is answering the deepest longing of Zechariah and Elizabeth's hearts. But this response of Gabriel is also an answer to the prayer that Zechariah was making on behalf of the nation. Look how this comes together. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they're going to get a son. The nation is going to get a prophet. Zechariah and Elizabeth are going to get a child running around the house. The nation is going to get a messenger running ahead of the Savior, the one who's going to deliver God's people from oppression to sin. Zechariah and Elizabeth are going to hear the babble of a newborn baby. The nation is going to hear the message that will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the wise. Zechariah and Elizabeth are going to have to get a nursery prepared. The nation is going to get somebody who's going to prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. God, the way he works in prayer, is just amazing. When he answers prayer, it's it's with better answers than, than what we can imagine in the moment. And answers that sometimes connect the, the storylines of, of many people who are praying. Those of you who remember Calvin Thielman, uh, our former senior pastor here, uh, you may remember that uh, Calvin traveled uh, a lot in the summertime with Dr. Billy Graham. And uh, one summer he was over in England, and when he was there, he, he had a stroke. Calvin was taken to a London hospital, and he was placed in a ward. Well, uh, Dr. Graham called him one day on the phone uh, to check in, see how he's doing. Well, word got around in the ward that Calvin was associated with Billy Graham, to which one of the patients responded, I don't like Billy Graham because I don't like Jesus. Well, that immediately uh, moved Calvin to focus his prayers on this man. (laughs) And uh, over the several days that Calvin was there, in spite of the pain he was in and the weakness, uh, he was in a place he did not want to be. Still, he witnessed to this man and led him to the Lord. Well, on the day Calvin was released, he bought fish and chips for everybody in the ward. (laughs) And this man came up to him and he said, Reverend, if you ever get to wondering why you had to go through all this, if you ever think your pain had no meaning, remember, if for my sake alone, it was not an accident. What was God doing in Calvin? In, in, with his stroke, what was God doing in that hospital ward? He was answering prayer according to his purposes, weaving together better answers than any one person could imagine. The prayers of family, the prayers of folks in this congregation who prayed for Calvin's trip and then his recovery. The prayers of Calvin for this man. And perhaps there were prayers of others. Maybe this man's father, his mother, grandparents. 
when heaven seems silent, God still hears our prayers and he is working his answers. Better answers than we often can imagine according to his plans for our good and his glory. And how can we be sure of that? Christmas. Christmas is God's answer to the prayers of of his people through the ages in sending a savior to rescue us from our sin. I mean, what the story of Christmas is saying is that God is faithful. He hears our prayers and he answers. I mean, the very character of our God is on display in the Christmas story and and that's what we wanna highlight. That's what we wanna build our prayers upon. You know, sadly, Zechariah doubted God's character, his goodness and his faithfulness. Sadly, Zechariah failed to live up to his own name. Uh, you know, the names of, of all the people in the story here are, are very telling. They, they are all just directional signs pointing to God, who he is in his character. So the name Zechariah means Yahweh remembers. Yahweh remembers. God doesn't forget. Yahweh remembers. He's faithful that way. Elizabeth means God's promise. God makes promises, good things for us. And John means God is gracious. So Gabriel's message is basically, the Lord remembers his promise, God is gracious. That's the message of this passage. The Lord remembers his promises, God is gracious. This is a take home for our our prayer, for for building our prayers on the character of God. It's not built on our goodness, but on his. It's not built on our faithfulness, but his faithfulness. The Lord remembers his promise. He is gracious. And his promise is to hear our prayers. There's so many. Well, we could could spend all all morning just looking at the promises of God related to prayer. Uh, Psalm 9, 12, he does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Psalm 102, 17, he regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Psalm 34, 17, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Psalm 145, 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. How sad that Zechariah did not live up to his own name. In spite of an angel appearing to him, (laughs) on the day he is chosen to go into the temple, I mean, this is all of God. I mean, still he asked the dumbest question. How shall I know this? I'm old and my wife is advanced in years. That is not an explain it to me kind of question. That's a statement of unbelief. He is questioning the legitimacy of Gabriel. In fact, he's questioning the legitimacy of God's character. And the one I feel sorry for is Gabriel in this moment. I mean, (laughs) poor Gabriel, poor angel, you know? What's he supposed to say? Oh, yeah, my bad, you know? It's kind of dark in here. I thought thought you were the young, virile Zechariah. You're just an old, used-up old man. You know, my bad, sorry. Is that what he was supposed to say? No, he had the right man. And so he responds, you want proof, old man? Okay, 
here it is. You won't be able to talk until the day this child is born because you did not believe the message. I stand in God's presence and I brought you good news and you didn't believe it, but this word will be fulfilled. You know, the reason Zechariah stumbles in unbelief as, as we do is that he failed to make room for God in his prayers, trusting God's character. He'd become claustrophobic, so to speak, in his faith. He was shut in by old wounds. He was closed in by the walls of age and ability. You know, too old, too late, too broken, too far gone. Those were the walls of the room that he lived in. And how important to make room for God in our circumstances with prayer that is, that is grounded and, and just standing in amazement of God and who he is. Bob Pierce uh, was the founder of World Vision. And uh, he often, in his travels, witnessed just appalling hunger and starvation in his travels. You know, kids with distended bellies, uh, mothers whose milk had dried up. Um, and he would go mad with frustration that he couldn't really do anything to help. But on occasion, in his frustration, he'd take out his checkbook and he'd write a check to a merchant to buy food for folks who are hungry, but knowing there wasn't any money in the bank back home. But he would pray that God would provide the funds to cover his check for the sake of, of the need here. And to the amazement of colleagues, it always seemed to come in, the money in the bank. Well, when he was asked about this toward the end of his life, he said, in everything we do, we should always have some God room. And then he gestured with his hands. Here's the need. Here are our resources. Everything in between is God room. We see prayer establishes God room in our lives. It gives him space to do his works as our prayer trusts what? His character. That he is good. He remembers us in our needs. He is the faithful one. Now, this doesn't mean we go out and spend money we don't have, but prayer at its heart, it's an act of defiance against living so safe and calculated a life. We trust a God who supplies beyond the storehouse of our resources, who works beyond our circumstances that tell us it can't be done. And because God is good, he even works beyond our doubts to answer prayer. We may forget, but he does not. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? How would you answer that in your home? How will we answer that as a church? Will he find a prayerless, self-reliant people or a praying church? People of faith radically dependent on him, expressing their dependence and their trust by prayer. Now, you might be thinking, Richard, I, I've, I've prayed and I just don't see God working. You might be in living in the silence here. You've prayed in, into some empty place, some barren place, some longing of yours, maybe for years, and heaven just seems so silent. Be encouraged to pray. 
still in light of who God is, what he has promised, in light of his character. Let the first advent lead to a better Christmas this year by believing its meaning. The Lord remembers. He hears and answers us as he promised because he is gracious. This is our God. Amen.